Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, March 15th, 1991, this story actually took place on March 16th. Important to get the date right. But on this day in 1991, a Korean-born merchant shopkeeper, Soon Ja-do, shot and killed 15-year-old Latasha Harland after accusing her of stealing a bottle of orange juice in her store. Latasha Harlins was not stealing the bottle of orange juice. She was intending to pay for the orange juice. She died after being shot in the back of her head, holding the $2 in her hand that she was going to use to pay for that bottle of juice. No surprise, this incident caused a tremendous amount of uproar and heartache in South Central Los Angeles. Any killing of a young girl would, but it also tied into growing tensions between Korean and African-American communities. And then about a year later, as the trial over Harlan's death was coming to a close, all of this kind of folded into another incident that many of us know, the Rodney King beating, trial, riots, which were of course about police and the black community, but also about these lingering tensions within South Central Los Angeles as well. So... This is a story about the death of Latasha Harlins, but also the roots of the L.A. riots that many people may have not known about or forgotten. So here to discuss, as always, are Nicole Hammer of Columbia and Kelly Carter Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Hello, Jody. Hey there. Um, before we get going, I just there was a documentary that came out last year, a short doc. It was um, Oscar nominated. It uh, is on Netflix. It's called A Love Story for Latasha. And it's um, it's really beautiful. I, I just watched it in preparation for this. And, um, you know, it makes a really important choice, which is just to center her. And it's just about her. It's not really about her killing, certainly not about the larger political stuff that we're going to get into. But it's just, um, it's lovely. She seemed like a really, she was a really wonderful young girl with big dreams. She wanted to be a lawyer. She had a loving family. And it's just um, in the same way that this story is resonant for so many reasons now when we hear about killings like this, to stop and spend some time about the human being at the heart of the story is always really important. So I would recommend go watch that film if you can. Um, any thoughts about the incident or Latasha, and then we'll get into the sort of larger political uh, echoes and, and swirling themes? I mean, this was a huge, huge moment. And the community in LA was just grief stricken. And I think that grief was even more pronounced that her death became overshadowed by Rodney King. And that's not to say that one is more important right. than the other, but oftentimes when you have these big 
controversial shootings, black women are almost always pushed to the margins of the movement. So there's a big like campaign, hashtag say her name to sort of, you know, revive a lot of the lost names that have been rendered invisible because their stories have not been told or because their stories have been overshadowed. But also say her name is, is just about what you talked about too, Jody. is like, who were these people and what were their dreams and what, what were they trying to accomplish and how were they loved and, and, you know, and all of the things that make people complex and human, I think is also something that gets lost too. We forget that Latasha was a child. Yeah. And I think that there's a really important resonance in the story with Trayvon Martin's murder, right? The images mm-hmm. that resonate from his murder were the Skittles and the iced tea, which is such a kid thing to snack on. And here yeah. it's just like, it's a bottle of orange juice. It's $2. And that she lost her life over that is mm-hmm. so heartbreaking. And it just emblemizes the the meaninglessness of it. Like mm-hmm. her life was worth more than $2. And yeah. It, yeah. it's um, it's those very poignant details, I think, that sometimes make a story like this stick in your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, much like a lot of these other stories, including Trayvon, where there was audio there, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that the Trayvon Martin story is so politicized is because there is not video. But in this story, there is video, the security camera mm-hmm. footage. And you can see, you know, her being shot in the back of her head. And then you know the information about it was just a bottle of orange juice and so forth. But, you know, again, like that is just, there were no cell phones back then. There weren't cell phone video everywhere. But, you know, that is the thing that has changed is just these things are showing up on video more and more. And we see mm-hmm. incidents that have always been happening. We see them. But this feels like a it's presaging that where this video was shown immediately on the nightly news. And, and so many people, when you hear them talk about this story and why it hit them, obviously a tragic killing, but also just seeing that video and having that evidence to look at um, really sets, you know, sets things off in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you set that side by side with the Rodney King beating because yeah. that was captured uh, by a home camcorder or something, a technology that just wouldn't have been around uh, even yeah. just like 10 or 15 years earlier. So it also puts you in this particular moment in time when there are these new technologies that are mm-hmm. allowing people to witness these crimes in different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk about the trial, which is about a year later. But again, you know, it's like you have these parallel way these things play out. We see it play out now. It's like you have this initial incident. It, it, it bursts up. There's a conversation. And then you go to trial. And it's like a year later. Then it bursts out again. And it's, you know, and that's sort of what happened with Rodney King, too. There was the, the beating and the conversation around the video of the beating. And then it went to trial. And then the verdict. And here... Um, the verdict about a year later in 92 is, you know, police very quickly claim there's no attempt at shoplifting. A jury finds the shopkeeper due guilty of voluntary manslaughter. But what ends up being the verdict? So voluntary manslaughter would have would have had a maximum sentence of 16 years in prison. And instead, the judge, Judge Joyce A. Carlin, gives due probation. Um, and when that happens, people are incredulous at this slap on the wrist at the death of a person when she's been convicted of, of, of manslaughter. And so um, there was outrage in the city. Um, 
riots or what Elizabeth Hinton calls rebellions are break out and people start to protest and they start to throw Molotov cocktails. They start to destroy Korean businesses. I think a, a big part of this backstory too is just black and Korean relationships in um, Los Angeles are something that doesn't get discussed, that there's this real uh, dynamic about how black people are treated, how uh, Asian immigrants are treated, how there's a, a rush to not be at the bottom. And so the tensions over who controls these stores and who controls the streets and how uh, these communities were able to find solidarity or not really spills out into the streets um, during these rebellions. And it gets folded into national politics in a really destructive way. So this is this um, mm. verdict is coming down in 1992. And this is when Pat Buchanan is running for the um, mm-hmm. Republican presidential nomination. And he goes to Los Angeles and he meets with Korean shop owners and holds them up as the defenders of the city of Los Angeles, really pressing mm-hmm. that sore point in this moment of anti-black politics, where he is trying to drive a wedge even further between Korean shop owners, black Los Angelenos, and of course, the white voters he's appealing to. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, uh, I did this series with 30 for 30 about Donald Sterling, who's this awful basketball owner, but he mm-hmm. got his money as a slumlord, really. And, and Kelly, to your point, you know, gentrifying a lot of black neighborhoods and often, you know, bringing in Korean tenants and pitting groups against each other and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, ties into a changing city, gentrification, the rush to not be at divide the bottom of conquer. the ladder, divide and conquer, all that stuff. And, you know, again, it folds into then... It's a story, and I want to acknowledge that, and it's certainly for, a lot, I think, a lot of people in Los Angeles of a certain age will remember the story, but it does quickly get folded into or subsumed or whatever word you want to use with the Rodney King incident, and I just remember as an outside observer to Rodney King, you know, in the riots around that, which are obviously about a police beating, um, you also then have just kind of a community that is at the end of its rope, and there are a bunch of a lot of the fires and and a lot of the arson that took place during that did target Korean businesses, including the store where this incident took place, Empire Liquor. But I remember as an outside observer kind of being like, wait a minute, what's what's going on here? What is this Korean, mm-hmm. Korean American, African American dynamic that I don't really get? And why is, you know, why are these stores being torched? And I didn't realize, you know, I don't think many people realize that the roots really were in this in this incident. I also think that, you know, one of the first things immigrants are taught when they come to this country is like black criminality to Mm -hmm. associate black identity with crime or with trouble. And so even when you have what could seem like a harmless or even a meaningless exchange, buying orange juice the the question or the barrier is always you're trying to steal from me you're trying to take from me because black people are criminals before they can commit any crimes that's like the default identity and so you know when when that accusation is made at latasha she doesn't have a societal framework that will support her truth Mm -hmm. right every everything is pitted to believe that black people are criminals. And so even when it's found out that that was not the case, we're still not endeared to pity black people or to or to create, you know, punishment that would fit that 
crime because we still don't believe of black people as deserving of 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 those kinds of justices. So I mean it's it's really problematic when you look at this entire picture and not just this picture but like how this picture gets reincarnated in yeah. so many different instances over the 90s and the 2000s and our present moment. Right, because this is the height of the war on crime in particular and those images, whether it's, you know, from the Central Park Five or the subway mm-hmm. shooting in New York in 1984 or the the uprisings in Los Angeles. It's just a, a script that plays out over and over and over again where you're asked to think of the fears of the police or to think of the fears of the Korean yeah. shop owner and not to think of the terror that a 15-year-old girl feels when she's just like sauntering up to the counter and suddenly the shopkeeper grabs her and starts fighting with her. Um, I think that's a is a really important perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to come back, as we wrap up, to come back to what you were saying, Kelly, about there, you know, there are people who have said her name and kept her name alive. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge that. I mean, yeah, there is some hidden history here too, but I think for a lot of Angelinos, this is a the relevant story in and and in many ways but you know some other interesting stuff tupac dedicated keep your head up to her mm-hmm, um mentioned mm-hmm. his her name in a number of songs including has a line where he says latasha harlan's remember that name because a bottle of juice ain't something to die for um i wonder if that's the real first sort of moment of remember that name, say the name, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. say her name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if it comes yeah. from Tupac in 1993. Uh, and then... I remember that song. Yeah, I yeah. remember that song very well. Well, I mean, that I was mean, a huge song. And it I don't was think an many, anthem. Yeah, Keep I, Your Head Up was like, it was like Kendrick Lamar's We're Gonna Be All Right. right. You right. know, it was a musical anthem to sort of encourage you in, in your grief. Yeah, yeah. For it to have this sort of political underpinning is always really interesting. I think music often works that way. You don't realize how political it is and you think it's more, oh, it's a love song or whatever. Yes, um, yes. But it has that dynamic, I think, in, in an interesting way, too. Yeah. This is also, I mean, there are layers to this. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I just remember that this era of the, the, the 90s, you know, there's, like, gangster rap and yeah. hip-hop also has this horrible reputation for, for being misogynist and all of these different things. And so... Even with Tupac's song, it felt exceptional in the sense that it was not rapping about, like, you know, women as hoes or bees or whatever. In this way, the, the tropey way that uh, hip-hop was being dragged in the 90s. Um, this was a song I think that most people could appreciate, but it still gets lost in the politics of of how hip-hop was, was rendered. Yeah. Well, in addition to Tupac, you know, her family is also working hard to make sure that people remember this girl, right? Because she was lost in so much of the other stuff that was happening in Los Angeles and in the United States at the time. And so they are constantly holding vigils outside of Dew's residence every year on the anniversary of her sentencing. Um, You know, she gets sentenced to probation. And actually, um, Denise Harlins, her mom, interrupts an award ceremony at the Biltmore Hotel for Dew, for Dew's defense attorney. And it was just about making sure not only that people remembered her daughter, but the people who she felt were responsible for, for there not being justice in this case, that they had to confront often um, the pain of this family. Yeah. And then just last year, A Love Song for Latasha, this uh, Oscar-nominated documentary short, which I would highly recommend people go watch, and is really, again, about 
Latasha and the person at the at the heart of all this. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Nicole Hammer, thanks to you as always. Thanks, Jody. And Kelly Carter Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. But uh, why they spawn out the property? That's I don't. That's my question. You know how it all started. The first thing when the girl got killed from the Oriental. March 16th, 1991. Latasha Harlins, a black teenager, is shot and killed by a Korean store owner, Soon Ja Du. Du is convicted of voluntary manslaughter, but is sentenced only to parole and a small fine. The black community is outraged and remembers. What, six months probation? I mean, the people were pissed then. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money! You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia.